You know, when Kath, when Kath says, I don't know how they do this, I can tell you how we do it, by grace. By grace we do these things, because there are sometimes when you stand before a congregation, you may have plenty to say, but nothing to say. You may have plenty to say, but nothing to add. And other times, you feel like you've got nothing to say, but you don't need to say a lot. You just need to add the right amount of ingredients to what's going on because God has been speaking to you through the week, through your, your, your week. In seven days, a lot happens. So when God begins to speak, his word makes sense in our hearts to those who are listening to his voice. My job is to listen to him, sense what he's saying, and speak and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen? You know, and that's the way, that's the way it goes. And um, we are looking at this whole challenge of recommissioning a house. You know, I went for lunch this week with a, a guy in our nation, or in our city, I should say, who I believe is, is a, a key player. And he asked me the question, he said, so what's God doing in your church? So the first thing I, I always say to myself is, none of your business. But that's not that kind of man. He wasn't saying that to say, uh, what, he wasn't saying that to be nosy. He was generally asking me, what is God doing? And I always, the reason why I say that is because if you read in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was building the walls, Geshem, Sambala, and Tobiah came and they wanted to know what was going on. And they used the information of what was going on in, in Nehemiah's heart to distract and to try and destruct what was going on. So it's always wise, even though when Christians ask you, what's God doing in your church? They don't know your context. Now you can just say, oh, God's doing good things. You can just brush over it. But if you feel you can trust the person, you can enlighten them. And uh, in this particular case, I could. But I'm always guarded when people ask me, what is God doing? Why? Because I'm not quick to splash our name all over the place. Hello? In this day and age, that sounds total reverse. Because everyone's trying to get the name on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. They want to be known. I don't want to be known. That might sound strange. We don't want to be known for the wrong things. We don't just want to be popular. We want to be effective. And to be effective, you just need to know where and when to deliver what you carry. Amen? Today, there's a scene. Everyone's standing by and filming it. Someone can be being mugged on the street. And rather than someone get involved, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do the reporter. And I'll get it on my Facebook and everyone gets my likes, and I filmed it. So every, rather than people getting involved and stopping what's going on, people would just stand by and watch it. And you know, the church is very like that. We'd rather take pictures of what, what we did last night and get it on YouTube and get the likes and get the comments rather than getting involved and not worrying about the promotion. You're trying to please heaven, not Facebook. So we've got to be very careful where we put our attention and how we think. Don't worry about the media. The media will find us. Right? Now, there are, there are certain things that you might want to promote if you've got a guest speaker coming in or you've got an album coming out. That's different. That's different. But let's not be quick to tell everybody what's going on. But neither should we be... We should be ready to tell the right people at the right time. Amen? So when I was talking to this gentleman... I was explaining to him the difficulty in trying to change a culture. Now, you may not be aware that we are trying to change a 60, 70... How old are we now? How many years have we been there? 
We'll say 60, because I wasn't here at the beginning. I'm not, I'm not OLD. You'll know, don't you? How, how, how many years have we been here, Gwen? 60, right. 65. That's retirement, isn't it? 65, and there were a group before that. So 65 years of people gathering in this house. 65-year history, plus a little bit longer. But you ch- and we've gone through different decades, but we build a church culture internally, and we don't realize it. But we as a leadership have understood that there is a culture inside our church, just like there is in many, many other churches, that it's sedentary. People like to sit. People like to listen. They like to worship and go home, and their world is not changed. And it's so easy to come and sit, turn the heating on, put the music on, and we cannot make this like your living room. We cannot put plasma screen TVs all around. We cannot put a stereo boombox so you get the nice movies. This is not Netflix. I'll have him as the preacher this week. I'll have them next week as the preacher. And I can pause you in like, you know, you can't pause me. <laughs> you can switch off, but you can't pause me. And, and it's not your living room. This is the house of God. Right? And this is not entertainment. And this is not Sky, this is not Netflix or whatever. This is not Amazon Prime. This is the house of God. So we cannot treat the things of God like the world treats so many other things. Yeah? And, you know, you cannot have Christian TV in your home and call that your church. But that's what many will do. That's my church. I have my church. That's not what should be happening. But we've got to try and change the culture. So to change the culture, you've got to challenge it. And the hardest thing for you and I to realize is that there's a culture inside of you. And it's, it's, it's been formed over a long, long time. It's been formed over many people. It's been formed around many people, through many people, through circumstances. And you live with this culture inside of you that dictates your behavior, your belief system. And whether you think about it or not, your actions actually tell others that you've got a culture going on inside of you. Now, culture's not a bad thing. We all know, we all come from a past. We all have a place where we're born. So we can celebrate culture, but when it comes to church culture, that's a very different animal. It's a very different animal. Church culture is very different. Because you can't expect your culture, to, you can't bring your culture and expect church to fit into your culture. And that's the problem we make. So that's why when we have a diverse, when we have diverse church here and we have different nations, there can only be one culture in the house. There can only be one culture. Because we can't tamper to every culture in here. It's impossible. We recognize, we celebrate, we love, we embrace. Right? But can you imagine, I can't sing in your language. What's your language? Ghana. You can't sing it. Yeah? There's two of us. <laughs> I can't sing in your language. What's your language called? Bimba. Yeah. I can't sing in it. Can you sing in it? Yes, yeah, say good. You lead worship mess with them. <laughs> I can't sing in those languages. So we all realize that there's, limit- there's limitations and there's difficulties when within when our own culture. But you know what? When we get together, we bring, bring a play, or when we're talking one another, we can celebrate and embrace one another. Yeah. But we can't do all things cultural, can we? So it's impossible. So we have to be, listen, if we're going to change and challenge the culture here, three words I'm going to give you this morning. We have to be brave. 
we have to be courageous and we have to be wholehearted. We have to be brave, we have to be courageous and we have to be wholehearted and in the midst of that, put in brackets, put respectful. Respectful. Everyone has a history. Everyone has a past. Everyone, and out of that history and that past, people get hurt. People uh, have had great things. They've had indifferent things. So you're trying to cult, you're trying to culturally change people who's got a past and a history. Everyone with me? So I don't want our church to be English. Well, this side's yes. Let's try that side. I do not want our church to be English. I do not want it to be British. I want it to be Christ-centered. Now, in a Christ-centered church, we will have many cultures, and we have to choose the language. Depending on how many cultures are coming in, we may have to have different languages. We may have to get interpreters and things like that. That is perfectly fine. But our church may have a predominant language only because maybe of the majority of people, well, the nation you're in. Right? But our church cannot afford to be English. We don't do eggs and bacon on a Sunday morning. Now, I know we do toast, but that is just, hey, that's just one thing. You may not drink tea. You may drink coffee. I don't know. The point is, we cannot be English. I do not wear a suit with a bowler hat and an umbrella. Right? I don't preach that way. I don't wear a tie. This is my attire. Not a tie. That's the old generation's stereo, what you want to call it. We are trying to bring a Christ-centered culture and that means we have to change the behavior and the thinking. And if we're going to be recommissioned, you have to change this culture where we can't just sit. That's why it pleases me no end to see Mary and the guys going out next week. It it pleases me no end to to hear the Chris and Kath. It pleases me no end to hear other people from ADT telling me this is what God's doing. Why? Because these are indications that the culture is beginning to change. Because when we train for discipleship, these people are coming aside and setting themselves aside to be trained to go out and to be different. So that when others come into our house, they see a, a house, a house, sorry, of different culture. It sees a cultured house, but it sees a house with a distinct culture. So you're, we are faces without races. Amen? We are faces without races. We, we all know, you know I'm white. That's not an apology. That's who I am, right? I know my sister here is not white. And my eyes, even with my glasses, I can see she's still not white. Right? I don't see a black Irene, she doesn't see a white Tony. I see a sister. I see a John and I see whoever, who else, wherever you come from. I, see, I don't see colour. Colour cannot be my first introduction. I've got to see people. Get to know the person. And they'll take you into their world. And you'll see that in their world there's, there's colour and there's beauty and there's difference and there's indifference. And you'll see all that. And that's how we get to know. We can't have blacks, ye- yellows and whites over here. That's a divided house. We don't have chairs with your nation's flag on it. Because we can't do that. Because that's not the house we're trying to build. My house, my house will be a house for all nations. That's what Jesus said. So we've got to be very careful that we change the culture and we do it together. We do it together. Because my job may be to initially start the, the, the dialogue. 
to, to, to put the wheels in motion. But sooner or later, you've got to come alongside. Come alongside. And then what happens is, more and more people begin to change the culture inside because people get alongside. Amen? You see, we can all nod our heads going, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right, brother. And then do nothing about it. Well, I don't know how to change. Hearing these messages, I'm so convinced that God is speaking to us that I'll, I'll say to you, if you dive into this message, God will make it clear to you. I'm so convinced that this is what God is saying to us as a house, that if you dive into these messages and let these messages enter into you, you too will very quickly stand at the side because you'll see what I'm seeing and what we're seeing as a leadership. So Deuteronomy, let me come to my, uh, is it on? Oh, there we sorry. Don't expect to see change if you don't make one. Don't expect to see change if you don't make one. So you can keep hearing and hearing and hearing. Oh, I like what he said this morning. I like what he said this morning. I like what they said this morning. I like the sound of the ADT, but never make a change to ADT. Seriously, you say, why aren't we doing ADT on a Thursday night? Because there are things we cannot possibly do in one night. And anyone who's been on ADT will realize there's a clear process I outline about coming aside, putting down. It's a clear process that we've got to obey. So that's just there. Don't, don't expect to see a change if you don't make one. So Deuteronomy 31.16. So here's a word that comes to us. If we're going to start this journey of, of, of being brave and courageous and wholehearted, being respectful of people, then we need to understand the word comes to us, the launch word that comes to us, the launching word comes to us, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Just stop there for a second. Be strong. When you hear those words, you know trouble's coming. He didn't, you know, when God began to speak to me, he just didn't put his arm around me and said, hey, Tony, I think it's time for a culture change. God addresses you as a man of God. And he says, Tony, be strong, be courageous. Why, what's coming? No, be very strong, be very courageous, and don't be terrified. Why, why do I need to be terrified? You know there is trouble ahead. Now there's the problem. Just put a pin in that. There's trouble ahead, because you could be the trouble ahead. You could be the trouble. So he says, don't be, str- uh, be strong, courageous, don't be afraid, or terrified because of them. Understand, underline that word, them. There is always a them who resists cultural change. There's always going to be a them. When South Africa came under its change, there was a them who resisted it. Right? Who didn't want it to happen. And then, then the them will always change depending on the politics. For years there was always a them who stopped South Africa from advancing. And then a new crowd came up and the them company changed and they wanted change. And whenever you go around the world, there's always those who resist change and those who fight for it. And depending on which side of the coin of the, the, uh, the message you're on, you will become a them company. Does that make sense? So when we had Brexit, there was a them company. There was them who wanted it and them who didn't want it. And you know, and the moment it flounders or anything, 
That them company will say, see, we were better off in Egypt. Now, right now, the Scottish are are waiting and watching to see it all fall down because they'll say, see, we knew this was going to happen. And I think an independent Scotland, shut up. Stay together. Stronger together. You may need some leverage. You may need some rights. Yes, but together we're better. Amen? God bless Nicholas Sturgeon. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is with you. Now you need to define who the you is. There is a them and there's a you. If you're going to fight for something, you need to be you. Because if you're fighting for something righteously, God will speak to you. And he'll speak to you to resist them. Be on the right side of the tracks. Because if you're on the wrong side of the track, you'll find yourself fighting against God himself. So you need to be on the right side. Who are the them and who is the you? You must define that this morning in your heart. Does that make sense? For, listen, for the Lord your God is with you. God's with a certain company. And God goes with you. Don't act and think that God's following you. God never follows. God leads. You follow. He leads. God says, you know, very often when we're young and immature, we expect God to try and come over here. We expect God to abandon his plans and follow us. God never follows. God's a leader. God's never followed anyone in his life. He's a leader. So you need to determine... If God is going to go with you, you need to determine the reason why it's with you and not with them. Hello? Amen. You need to determine why is he with you and not with them. Because there's something in the them company that's resisting what God is for. Not everybody wants a culture, a wide open culture. Not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants a kingdom culture. Most people, culture on, left to itself is very selfish. When, you know, a Brit only has to go abroad and he expects everyone to speak English. He expects a Frenchman to sell the, the news of the world, the sun, the mirror, and how come I can't find out about City being thrown out of the Champions League, which is false, by the way. It's fake news. Joking aside. Why can't I find my English paper? Because it's not England. Well, they all read news. They all speak English, don't they? That's the stupidity of an Englishman. Where can I find eggs and bacon? You can't. You're in France. It's continent. We don't eat continent. We don't eat croissants in the morning. We're from Manchester. Croissants. You mean croissant? Croissants. We're from the north. No. I'm surprised they don't even eat croissants in Manchester or in France. The croissant. That's as good as my French gets, and, and Tembe, if it's bad, you can shoot me later. <laughs> hey? <laughs> now, watch this. God goes with you, He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, you, need, you really do need to establish and determine who the you is if you're going to find this God and you're going to walk with this God and work with this God and this God's going to work and walk with you 
then you need to be on the right side of what God is saying and doing. Because being on the wrong side of the tracks when God is saying you should be over there is to resist God. And I'm convinced that we have many troubles ahead. We have many fights ahead. But we've got to, we've got to do it together, not against one another. So the challenge being set before me and this leadership here and those who will join us in the future is one of a transition. To put troops back in their boots means a change. To get Chris, to, no, Chris has already, fortunately, has already got his boots on this morning, right? But if I said to Cap, oh, Cap's, even Cap's got a boots on. You've all got boots on this morning. So if I say to Paul, Paul, we're going, we're going to change your terrain culturally. Culturally, we're going to change your terrain. You're not going to sit, this is not the front room now. We're, covered, we're leaving Netflix behind. We're going on some adventure. So I say, you will need to change those shoes. Why? Because you're going to be, you're going to find different terrain and you're going to slip and you're going to need to get some grip. I want you to stay on in track, on track, I should say. Those shoes are only going to limit you. So God says, when I'm bringing a cultural shift in the house, the first thing I need to do is I've already got the boots. I've already got the attire for you. When, when Israel was in, in the wilderness, God made sure their clothes never wore out. So they were wearing the right gear for the right terrain, right? What we need to do is get back into our spiritual armor, get back into our warfare, into our run, our race, and wear the appropriate footwear we need for the journey we're taking. Amen? And it starts with getting back into your boots, getting back into your primary calling, getting back into the boots symbolize our primary calling because boots go in a direction. Amen? So we are fighting probably one of the most difficult things, challenges we've ever fought before as a house. So, as a good leadership practice, uh, so all good leadership practice must resist temptation to maintain the status quo. Which means a leaning towards developing a disruptive, evolutionary, organic culture. And it becomes essential. Right, why do we say that? Because right now there is a status quo in here. Everybody looks the same, we come in, we do the same things, our behaviour is the same. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. But if we keep on doing this, and this always becomes the status quo, then we'll always keep getting what we've got. And eventually, generations will fade. And we'll stop growing. And we'll stop growing. And we'll stop growing. So we cannot maintain the status quo. We have to develop a culture that is disruptive. And when I say disruptive, I didn't say chaotic. It disrupts the mentality of we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. No, no, we don't want, we shall not be moved. We want to move. We want you to rise, we want you to walk, we want you to serve, we want you to get involved. So we have to disrupt that part. And it has to be evolutionary. So in other words, it's ongoing. It has to be organic. In other words, you're receiving from the same God I'm receiving from. You're receiving the same word. You're evolving organically. You don't have to take tablets. We don't have to feed you a certain kind of food and promise you things that we can never fulfill to keep you going. We cannot give you processed food. We must give you organic food. Food that comes right from heaven to you. We do not want processed Christianity. So we have to disrupt the, your expectations of that. 
Well, how come they didn't say this when I came in? How come when someone comes in the door, how come they didn't say this? Where's your program for this? Where's your program for that? Because that's not who we are. Well, in my last church, right, stop there, in your last church. Right, so all of a sudden now they're coming into a different culture. So we're not just changing the culture for you and I, we're changing the culture for those who have not yet arrived. So it can't be just about you or me. But we've got to do things for those who have not yet here. Can you see that? So we have to lean towards developing a disruptive, evolutionary, organic culture. I missed the word out there. And it becomes so essential to us. So we do not need processed Christianity, which is cultured Christianity. We've filled with secular additives, people opinion, and with parallel structures portrayed as wise leadership. We are not trying to build like Jimmy down the road. We're not trying to use, adopt different parallels. We do not need someone else's idea. We need God's wisdom on how to build, right? So we're not using somebody else as a model. We're using heaven's blueprint patterns, right? So the legacy of our Christianity will be, will be preserved when we are carrying long life by corporate obedience towards building on biblical blueprint patterns, embracing biblical principles and by believers adhering to protocol procedure. That's how you're going to change your culture. So we've got to set these in, in your midst. What are the patterns? What are the principles? What are the procedures for building a God-centered culture? Because every culture wants to be heard. Every culture wants to be seen. Every culture wants to be understood. And guess what? I understand that. But not every culture can be expressed. So we've got to build a culture where every one of us feels fulfilled. I'm fully expressed in that fulfillment. Does that make sense? So we want... Long life, do we not? I want my children to have long life. I want my children's children to have long life. Spiritual long life. So, when you no longer seek, when you no longer seek to work, when you, if you're a Christian and you no longer think about working for Christ, you're already in trouble. When you are a Christian and you no longer think about reaching the lost, your culture needs to change. When you come into a church and all you ever think about is yourself and never serving anybody else, your culture needs to change. When you think all this just materializes and I don't have to sow into the work, your culture needs to change. When you've got wrong expectations and wrong beliefs, it's because your culture needs to change and it needs to transition towards some new understanding. Because we all have expectations. We expect him to have done this, her to have done that, the, them to have said this, and it just doesn't happen, and we get frustrated. And then we later on we find out why, and we realise that there was a gap between my understanding and theirs. So we've got to be very careful how we change, because this is a real challenge to us. And you think, it's only a small group of people, but every one of us has got a culture. Everyone has a culture. And... I love the fact that God's given us cultures. I really, really do celebrate that this house is a multicultured house. I'm thrilled at that because it gives us the challenge we need. I don't want beige. I want challenge. <laughs> Keep your faces. 
come over here and see your face, then you realise why I like challenge. Come on, every one of you, come up and have a look at yourself. <laughs> and that word to disrupt, I like that word, disrupt. We've all seen disruptive people, haven't we? And we've seen the chaos they, they create. But you know there's a positive disruption. There's a positive disruption. If Edna is getting up and she's saying something, right, and it's not good, we're all sat there thinking, wish someone had shut her down. Example, example. It takes someone to disrupt the flow. And then someone goes, you know what? Oof, I'm glad you did it. You were never going to do it. You were hoping someone else would do it. And someone did it now. And then what will happen is everyone will criticize the one who did it for the way they did it. So you can't win. But everybody knew, shut her down, shut her up, sit her down. But then someone will complain the way you did it. We got the result, but you didn't like the way I did it. There's a disruption sometimes in the spirit that God has to come and speak and disrupt what you're doing. So that you will turn around. The Bible is filled with stories where people were on the way to destruction and God disrupted them. Paul was a classic example on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to, to persecute Christians and God disrupted him on that road. And I just wonder how many of us need disrupting from self-destruction. Many of us need disrupting from self-destruction. And this is what that word means. We have to disrupt, break the flow or break the tide that keeps moving and it's taking you in the wrong direction. And you need wisdom. Do you realize how many books are written about change? How many organizations actually go down the tube because they brought about the wrong, they had the wrong strategy for change? You'll never bully, you'll never bring about change by bullying people. You bring change by encouragement, educating, showing people why. Now, you'll always get the cynics amongst you who'll say, I don't care, what about my seat? I've got to leave my seat. Well, I'm sorry, that operation is going, it's inevitable. You and your seat will depart. Because if you're going to have movement and get people back into their boots, then they have to leave one place to step into something different. True? So, you're surprised to say that I've got a lot more than I've got time for. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Let's go to verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua. So now the leaders summoning the next generation. And he said to him, in the presence of all Israel, and this is what I really want to address this morning. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel. So, it's like me saying to uh, Daniel Tilbrook, he's not here, so I can say it. Daniel Tilbrook, he's the next generation. I'm a Moses. God speaks to Moses to speak to the next generation. Daniel's a picture of a next generation. And he does it in front of you lot. You're the Israel in this scenario so God will always choose the Moses God will always choose the Joshua and God will always choose the Israel now did Israel have a culture where had Israel been living for the last 400 years in slavery they lived they were more Egyptian in culture than they were Jewish 
right? So when God brought many of you guys out of your nations, God brought you out of your nation to change you into a new culture. It's called Christ Jesus. So when, when Christ, no, let's not just use people who, who came from overseas. When Christ set Paul free from the law of sin and death, Paul bring, God brings Paul out of his old nature and he transitions him into a new nature. So now he's, he's, he's got a culture, culturally he's British, his son, news of the world, egg and bacon, bowler hat, all the stereotypes that we assume we're Brits, lager drinking, beach bombing, all those things that you associate with the Brits, right? God saves him from the past, brings him out of his old nature, right? So now his old nature and his British nature has to change. It has to conform to Christ. Right, so I bring John from Zambia and Edna. Right, God brings them out of a nation. He didn't say, get rid of you being a Zambian. That's who he is. Right, but what he says is, I'm going to transition you into a new nature. And your new nature will have a way of highlighting what your old culture, the bad things in your culture which are not of your, part of your new nature, yeah. I'll have to remove. Yeah. So God brings them to England. So now Paul and John and Edna are in a foreign place. I want to say a foreign place, a place in their hearts they've never transitioned to before. So now journey's on for the pair of them. It's just as much of a problem for him to leave his eggs and bacon and his beer culture than it is for him to leave, or for them, to leave their culture. Yeah. Everybody see this? Because they both got past, they both got ideologies, they both got philosophies, but God brings them out to bring them in. Now what we've done is, we've seen people from all over the world come to us, but yet the old nature is still unchallenged. And it's the, un, it's the old nature in you that challenges the new culture that God's trying to bring you into. And that's why it needs to be disruptive. That's why it needs to be disruptive. Because Paul's nature, Paul will still fight. Well, I can't lead worship until I've had my tea and coffee. What's that about? That's him. I can't lead worship until I've had something to eat. That's him. But Paul, we need you now. Well, I can't. I can't. You know, an Englishman never goes to work without a breakfast. Get to Greg's and get me a bacon sandwich or a sausage roll. So the thing is, we've all got this flesh that stops us inheriting the journey. So Israel was more Egyptian at this point than they ever were Jewish, right? They'd lived under an Egyptian culture. So then he says this, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, guess what? Be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord your God swore to their forefathers. So now God is speaking to them about a word he'd spoken to previous. About an inheritance that's yet to come. So God's connecting the past, the present and the future in one conversation. This is why we must disrupt this culture that we have right now. Because God, the God of the past is still speaking to us in the now. And the God in the past and, and, and in the future, sorry, in the present, he's speaking to us because there is a future generation yet to walk through the door. So he says this, 
For you must go with these, this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give to them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. There is an inheritance for your children's children. And if we do not change, your children's children will not inherit what God is trying to give us. Amen? The Lord himself goes before you, see? He's now going before. He's the leader. If God goes before, our job is to follow. So God is leading us, the Dream Center, into a new dimension, a new era of cultural change. Right? By getting back into your troops, that will lead you in a certain direction and the dynamics of this place will change. It will begin to change because God is a God of all the nations. God wants all... Look around, look at the nations in here this morning. You, God got you here somehow. You're not here by chance. God's arranged it. God's arranged it. When I think of the times I've tried to get out of our nation, God's arranged it so I would stay in the nation. Why? Because God's also arranged that when you were leaving your nation, God saw me leading you. Only God can do that. Why would you ever want to sit and listen to me? You said, well, we've asked ourselves that many times. <laughs> well, I'll save yourself the problem. I know. Because sometimes I say to them, why would I want to speak to them? Yeah. It works both ways. Yeah. And there's only one reason. God. Yeah. I do like speaking to you, by the way. <laughs> and he goes before you and he'll be with you. Never leave that. When he goes, never forget that when God... When you determine who the you company is and the them company, God will go with you. So you need to know where God's taking you. Because what, this is the part, the promise says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Do not be afraid and be discouraged. And he keeps saying, don't be afraid and be discouraged. He keeps saying, it. it's like, God, what are you taking me into? Don't be afraid, Edna. No, tell me. Don't be afraid, Edna. Because if I tell you, it'll freak you out even more. So the instruction is, don't be afraid. So what he wants you to say is, you know in your head you're going into trouble. But if I paint that picture, you would never take the journey. So he says, old man, you've got one job, and this is what we're teaching in ADT. My job is to lead, that's Christ. Your job is to follow. That's Christianity 101. He leads, you follow. And if you let that gap emerge, you're in trouble. You will not hear his voice. So he starts walking, you start following. And God says, I've seen trouble ahead. What trouble? What trouble? Just stay behind me. Oh, the trouble's getting real. Oh, man, alive. It's really dark. What trouble? No trouble. What trouble? Just stay behind me. Be strong. And Stop telling me to be strong and courageous. No, I need to tell you to be strong and courageous because I know how dark it is down there. Your job is to trust and obey, for there is... Finish the song, and to be happy in... Jesus. Happy in Jesus. Ah, that would be a great day, wouldn't it? Just be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. You see, Jesus says, in this world you will have many, but do not be discouraged, for I have overcome them all. So Jesus told you there's going to be trouble ahead. So why do you act surprised when you get it? Why do you act so surprised? Did he not tell you? Trouble's ahead. There is no left turn, right turn, or U-turn that will not bring trouble. Every direction in life will bring its own trouble. I would rather be behind the one who's leading me into the battle than looking for the one 
Because I, because I deserted him. God, where are you? Where are you? It's not where I am. Where I am, son, it's where you are. So in order to disrupt the status quo, there must be a leader who can receive, who can hear and receive the command to come downstairs and address the people and get them ready. The encouraging word this morning for us all is, there is trouble ahead. And even the greater news is, be strong and courageous. Be very strong, be very courageous. So I'm not trying to dress up, there's going to be paper roses. Happy Valentine's Day. It's not going to be Valentine's flowers for us every day. But it will be trouble ahead, but it'll be well worth it. If I give you the bad news up front, everything. everything else is good. That's it, Chris. So Moses made Joshua no sorry, God, Moses made it known to Joshua in front of Israel. I'm making it known to Israel this morning of what God has made known to Moses. I'm making it known to you, the people. And when God told Moses, so when God told Moses to tell Joshua in front of all of Israel. Why did he do that? Because he wanted, listen, he wanted everyone to be accountable for what they heard. I'll tell Moses. Moses will tell Joshua. Uh, and, and when Moses tells Joshua, the whole Israel is going to listen and all of you are going to be accountable for what you hear. Everyone, I'm going to show you a scripture in a minute that's going to shake your tea boots. Because when I read this next scripture, you're going to want to listen. I'm going to tell Moses, so I'm going to make sure that I've made it very clear from the heavens, down through the set man, out to the next generation, and to the generation in front of him, I'm going to make it so clear that none of you can ever turn around and say it's his fault. Because if it was just a private conversation that Moses needed to have with Joshua, he could have done it in private. But God made it public so everybody could hear and everybody could see, so there was transparency and there was full accountability. If God needs a private conversation with you, he'll have one. If God needs a public conversation with you, he'll have a public conversation with you. And he'll do that through prophecy in a meeting or something like that. But God knows when to speak and how to speak. He knows what the moment needs. And he did this as a sign that all Israel could never deny. It's recorded for us to see that God does things openly. God is not trying to do something behind our backs. You never said this, Lord. Well, I thought you said this. No, it's out and it's been recorded. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Let me just encourage you with this for a second. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, starting at verse 32. And you've read this scripture many times probably. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to stand on the heights. Is this the scripture you read out this morning, Irene? No. Uh, he trains my hands for battle. Look at your hands. Put your hands out like that, if you will. Those hands have to be trained. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down and make me great. You broaden the paths beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Yeah. Now, everybody likes the sound. Would you say that's the sound of victory? Yeah. Would, you sound, would you say that's the sound of victory? 
Right. But you also, it's in the midst of trouble. It's in the midst of trouble that victory comes. You cannot separate trouble and victory. That's why victory tastes sweet in the midst of trouble. Nobody wants trouble. Nobody wants to be disrupted. Nobody wants to be disrupted. I said nobody wants to be disrupted. But victory comes in the midst of turmoil and chaos. If you're going to have victory, then you've got to embrace some battles. Know the way around it, folks. So here's the thing. He arms me with strength. Who needs some more strength? He says, he makes my way perfect. Who needs a perfect way? He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Who needs a little bit of nimbleness? A fresh mobility, a fresh step. Skipping your step. I do. You know, yesterday, I'm moving my daughter. It's raining. He's bucketing it down. And we, I gets on the grass verge. And I does a Raheem Sterling. I fall down on the grass. Rolling around, looking like I'm, I'm asking for a penalty. And the kids are stood there laughing their heads off at me. Oh, he's gone down. He's gone down. Not one of them came to pick me up. So like a coiled ninja, Phil. Shoo, stood back on the feet. I said, you'll never keep your old man down long. Even in my old age, I need more mobility. It's like, don't let him see you crying. <laughs> You've always got to be a hero in front of your kids. See, you've got to learn that. When those girls of yours are strong and dad falls, you've got to bounce back up. It's all right, girls, don't panic. It's okay, it's okay. Somebody's like going, what an idiot, what an idiot. <laughs> the issue is not falling down. The issue is how long it takes you to get back up. Yeah? He said he makes me stand on heights. Who wants to go to new heights? He trains my hands for battle. Oh, so you're ready to be trained, are you? Right, ADT. Seriously, that's what ADT is about, training your hands for battle. He trains my hands for battle. He gives me a shield of victory. Are you ready to get behind your shield? In advance, you don't need victory in retreat. You stoop down to make me great. Anybody want to be great? Donald says that. It's going to be great, folks. It's going to be great. It's Donald's favorite line. It's going to be great, folks. It's going to be great. You broaden my path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Anybody want to be upright? So whatever terrain God sends us in. Now all this is in the midst of uncertainty. All this is in, in the midst of difficulty. He trains my hands for battle. Right. I believe God is training my hands and your hands for this battle. Yeah. He is training our hands. So, culturally, when new cultures come into our house, we who are of one culture, or we who are transitioning to one culture, we must help those who come out of their ideologies, their philosophies, we must help them to understand the culture of the house and not get so steeped in our individuality but help people transition. I will, guys, I'm appealing to you as a pastor. I need your help. 
We need your help to help new people transition into our culture. But if it's not in you, you'll never. You'll only ever bring them to where you're at. You'll only ever bring them to where you're at. We have to help them understand whatever that culture is, is that in this house there is one Christ, there's one Lord, and there's one culture. And everything must move. Just put that aside for today and move towards what's going on. Well, how come they don't play this instrument? How come they don't do that? Because that's not what we do. So uh, let's describe culture. Do you, wanna, do you want a, a good description of what culture is? It's the way things are done around here. The best way to describe culture is to say it's the way things are done around here. Well, why are they done, the way? Why are they done that way? And that's a different question. That's a why. And a why is a purpose. So let me finish now. Let me bring this to an end. Let me bring you to the death march. Dun, 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 dun. Let me take you to the last scripture. Deuteronomy 31. Well, you're turning to that. I'll read you a scripture out. As you're turning to Deuteronomy 31, I'm going to read you 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 out. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Please listen to your new nature. Please listen to your new culture. Here it is. God is outlining your new culture. Whether you're the Englishman with his breakfast or whether you're the Zambian or whatever culture you come from this morning, but you are a chosen people, so you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're the king's, you're of the king's noble birth and his ancestry, right? You are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We're a people. We're a nation this morning, okay? People belonging to God. This is, this is the fourth aspect of this new, of, of Jesus outlining your culture, identity. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Would you all agree with that this morning? Yes. Well, so, you're, so you're a chosen people, are you? Yes. Are you sure about that? Yes. You're chosen people. Right, so if you're a chosen people, you can't be like everybody else. No. Hello? Yes. If you're chosen, you can't be like everybody else. Are you a royal priesthood? Therefore, you have a lineage. So the same path to get what you need is not the same as everyone else. You have a lineage. You're part of something. Are you a holy nation? Yes. Are you a people belonging to God? Right. So you can't act like you don't belong to God. Okay. Are you a people who's going to declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness? Good. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy. Pick it up at 23. And the Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land, I promise you. And I myself will be with you. And after Moses, and after Moses, and after Moses, and after Moses finished writing in the book the words of the law from beginning to end, he gave the command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord to take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant, your God, and it will remain as a witness against you. What's being declared this morning will act as a witness against you if you don't do it. Now, every one of you has just agreed that you're a royal priesthood. You've just agreed that you're a people belonging to God. You've just agreed that you are a holy nation and you will declare the praises of him who called you out. That's evangelism. That's victory 
That's finding opportunities to declare the goodness of God at every opportunity. Would you agree? Now, when Moses did finish what he had to do, and he had declared it in front of Joshua, and he declared it in front of Israel, it was written in the law, and it was left as a testimony against Irene. Example. Testimony against the House of Dream Center. We are now, we have now come to the point where we are now witnesses, and what we witness will either stand for us or against us. Because it's been declared. It's been made known. In other words, Lisa, what you didn't know this morning has just now been made known to you. What has been made known to you has now, now needs a fresh result. It need, now needs a fresh de uh, decision. Thank you. Can everybody see that? What's been made known to her now, she has to choose. Same with you. You now have to choose how you will respond. So what's my portion? I'm going to be a royal priesthood. I'm going to be... I'm going to be, I'm chosen, right. So therefore, if I'm chosen, I, now I'm determining who the you is and who the them are. I'm now chosen. Okay, how does a chosen person think? That's a good question. How does a chosen person think? Well, he thinks like he's chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. What does that mean? In other words, there's a protocol now, because he's royal, he's regal, there's a protocol and procedures that I must now get familiar with. Because it's royal. Right, okay. I'm a holy nation. What does that mean? My tribe, my people are of the same mind. They should be of the same mind. That's for you to find out who is and who isn't. A people belonging to God. Well, look at the lives of those around you and find out. Use discernment who is belonging to God and who belongs to themselves. Come on. Have a look who belongs to themselves and have a, long, have a look who belongs to God and you'll see people have behaviors. Last one. A people who may declare the... The, uh, the praises of him. Find those people who declare the praises and stay away from those who whinge. Because those who whinge are in darkness. And those who praise God and, com and don't complain, he said, that's the fruit of him calling you out of darkness. Can you see this? It's very clear. So let's stand to our feet, please. We don't have to put the chairs out this away this morning. School's shut down for a week. Tea and toast is, is available to everyone. But here's the issue. I want you to see right now in the transition that we're in, I want you to see that as God is making it known to a Moses, I'm using me as a Moses illustration, it's being made known. It's not been made known, it's being made known. Okay? So can we understand that? We're only downloading parts. Now, will you be the Joshuas this morning? Yes. I'm declaring it to a Joshua yeah. because there's an Israel company ready to come in. Amen. There's an Israel company ready to be reached. Yes. So I'm speaking to Joshuas this morning and Joshua be strong and courageous because I'm about to train your hands for war. Yes. Now, your warfare cannot be against each other. It must not be against one another. It must not, must not, must not be against one another. Because a house divided will not stand. If we understand that we're in a cultural transition, the next question is, Lord, show me the steps I must make to get behind what pastor's talking about and the leadership talking about. Show me my role. Now, I guarantee if everyone's asking that prayer, it will not be hard to move us. But when we're not doing that and then we take actions, you say, I don't like that, I don't like, I don't like it here anymore. That's because now that culture is disrupting you. 
And it's going to create frustration in you and friction in you. As, was it you who used the word friction this morning? There's that friction, disruption. That's it. It's going to create. So when Kev's testimony this morning, very good, very powerful. And you know, the greatest authority you and I can ever have is when you submit yourself. When you submit yourself. That is the greatest authority you can ever have because you yielded. You brought yourself under a chain of command. No one can force you and say, you get on your knees and submit. No one's going to do that. But the point is when you willingly bring your heart, less Lord, I'm going to submit. It's no longer I that live. It's no longer my, my old identity. It's no longer the, the, the Tony, the, the Englishman who sings land of open glory. That's the old Tony, the new Tony. The new Tony says, Lord, I once came from that land. But now, Lord, there's new land in here. This, the, this is a new land, a new nature. Father, help me to step into your plans and purposes through your word this morning. So right, raise your hands if you will. Father, help me to step into your divine will this morning. Your plans and your purposes for my life. Father, show me culturally where I sit. Show me the, the containment that my own culture and its thinking brings to your culture and its kingdom. Father, I thank you that you, that you, you chose my, my place of birth as a destination to get me on earth. But Lord, you didn't want me to be contained and consumed by it. You do not want me to be limited and contained by its philosophies and ideals. But oh God, I want to transition into the woman, to the man that you're making me. So Father, Holy Spirit, show me this week my part in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a standing ovation.